Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. That was powerful, wasn't it? How beautiful. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for that truth. We look forward to that day and we pray that you'd help us to live this day in light of the day that we get to see you. Come quickly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I don't really know where to start. I, thank you all so much for the love and just the, man, the, the last five years have been incredible. I've got some friends that are here uh, from Chatsworth, Georgia, where I lived right before I moved to Sugar Hill. And five years ago, if I sat down with J.E., I wouldn't have been able to describe what the next five years would look like. We've seen God do so much. I didn't even know Laura uh, five years ago. And so to meet her and get engaged and be married and, and serve here, it's just been incredible. So thank you for the privilege and just the honor of getting to serve with you. And uh, thank you for the love that you show us. Uh, we're so grateful. We really are. Uh, this morning, Pastor Chuck already mentioned, and, and getting to serve with Chuck is amazing too. So thank you all for just that and just what he does. So I know he slipped out, but he, uh, he is pretty amazing. Uh, this morning, we are starting a new series, and it is this idea of tried and true. And it's the simple idea that every relationship is fragile. Have you all realized that? that? That in general, relationships, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with a neighbor, whether it's with a loved one, with a parent, whoever it may be, relationships really are fragile. And here's, I think, one of the truths this morning is just as Lee sang about soon and very soon that there's going to be a day that we get to see Jesus face to face and there's a day that we're going to get to just celebrate him in person. That day's amazing, but we're still on this day. Does that make sense? There's this gap between this day and that day. And I think that that gap, though I pray it's very short, the longer that gap is between this day and that day, the goal is that we would become more like Jesus. That's why God's left us here. That if we're not dead, then God's not done with us. If we still have breath in our bodies, the goal is that none of us ever arrive. None of us can walk in one Sunday and say, hey, I get it, I'm perfect, God's done with me. That never happens. And so between this day and that day, the goal is that every single day, we would look more like his son, Jesus. And one of the places that I think this really comes to the rub and one of the places where this really is tested is in the arena of relationships because relationships are fragile and relationships are fractured. And a lot of times relationships are broken. How many of you have seen a tense conversation happen in the last couple of weeks? Have you seen that? Have you seen, let me rephrase it. Have you seen a knock down, drag out kind of conversation. Have you all seen that? Yeah. Some of you are pointing at the person next to you, which we'll pray for you after this. Yeah. But recently, like two weeks ago, I was at the house and I was working on a message. I was working on the message from two weeks ago. And while I was working on the message, I went downstairs to get more water or something, refill my drink. And while I was downstairs, I start hearing two voices outside the house. Now, we live at a dead-end cul-de-sac back in the neighborhood. Like, we're far back in the neighborhood. And so it is really rare for me to hear anybody hear anything. And so I'm hearing these two voices. Uh, that's weird. I mean, what's that about? And the longer I listened, I could tell the conversation was getting more heated. The conversation is getting more heated. And eventually, these two guys are going back and forth, back and forth, back. And, forth. and so I can hear it from the front part of my house. I'm hearing this conversation escalate. I'm hearing the drama. I'm hearing the tension. And so I did what every good pastor would do. 
I went and I peeked through the blinds so I could get a... You know you do that too, right? I mean, we like it. We like reality right here, right on my front porch. And so I look out the window and it's the UPS guy versus the post office guy. I don't know the backstory. I'm sure they're both great people. And I don't know if we've got any UPS or post office people here today. I'm sure they're awesome. I'm sure they're great. But apparently on that day, one of them cut the other person off. And then the other person decided they're going to stop in front of the other person and make it awkward. And then by the end of it, one of the people decided they thought it'd be a great idea to try to back into the other person's truck. And I watched it all. (laughs) I watched it all. Like, this is awesome. We've seen those moments, haven't we? You, you, you've been in those moments too, haven't you? Right out of seminary, one of my first jobs uh, serving full-time in ministry was uh, with an organization where we put on events. We'd go around the country, we'd put on these big events. And so part of my job was I was in a lot of uh, conversations negotiating contracts with those, the facilities that we used. Well, there's this one facility that we were always at odds with. On the front end, when we first forged the relationship, it looked like it was going to be great. It looked like a perfect fit. But the longer that relationship happened, what we found is there was other motives going on. And so it led to friction within that relationship. And so my boss was having a very heated or very tense conversation with the owner of this particular facility. And anytime he'd go to a meeting, he'd come back with one report and then that that facility would do something different. And so finally he said, look, I, I want a third party in the room. I want somebody in the room. And so my one job was to show up at the meeting and to take notes of everything that they said. I mean, literally every single word they said. I'm just sitting there and I'm just sort of writing it out. And during one of those conversations, I'm in the room with my boss, who is this great leader guy. And then the other guys, this business guy that's been in business for a lot of years, been very successful. So I felt intimidated. I'm fresh out of Bible, you know, seminary. I'm like, I got my Bible. I don't know, you know, what am I going to do in this meeting? So I'm just taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. And the conversation, sure enough, got tense. The conversation got got heated very, very quickly. And I'll never forget this. My boss used a word that I've never heard used before. And so in in the middle of this conversation, they're going back and forth. It's like this pointing fingers kind of thing. Very, very tense. And my boss looks at this other guy and he says, are we going to have a Donnybrook here? And just like you, I just sat there. I was like, what? (laughs) I mean, I'm taking notes, taking notes. Donnybrook, what's that? Any of y'all ever heard that phrase? Have you heard the phrase Donnybrook? What is a Donnybrook? A Donnybrook is when something's going to blow up and you're basically going separate directions. And so here I am, I'm, thinking, I'm writing, 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 you know, point one, point two, point two. Donnie broke, what's that? And literally, we've all seen that happen. We have seen conversations blow up. We've seen relationships broken and fractured. And here's what I want to say this morning, is it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Relationships are fragile relationships with our parents are fragile. Relationships with our grandkids are fragile. Relationships with our spouses are fragile. But here's what I want to say. Part of between now, this day, and that day is we can grow up and how we deal with relationships. That's the thought behind tried and true is that relationships ought to be able to withstand the tough times. Relationships ought to be able to, to withstand a, a disagreement, an argument, a party. There, there, there ought to be a, a framework or a foundation in our relationships that is stronger than uh, uh, some remark that we say, stronger than an email that we send. We need something tried and true. 
And so this morning, I want to take a small verse that I think could have a major impact. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to follow along. Be finding Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, feel free to look. We've printed the verse that's on your handout today. So it's a small verse you're looking at. Some of you were already looking at it. You're like, awesome. We're going to beat the other churches to lunch. Great, right? You saw that. But just because this verse is small doesn't mean it's not powerful. In Ephesians, so this comes from a letter that Paul wrote to a group of churches. So these churches are trying to figure out what does it look like to grow up? What does it look like to, to live between this day and that day? What does that look like? And as he's writing to them in chapter four, he talks about the people in the church. So he talks about pastors, teachers, evangelists. He talks about the people in the church. And then he also talks about the gifts that are in the church. He talks about God's given every single one of us gifts. And that's a whole different message. So I won't go a lot into it today. But God's given every single one of us gifts that you have a gift. Every single one of us has a gift that God wants to use in the body, in the church. Every single person. You've got a gift. And so as he's writing to these groups of churches and he's talking about these gifts and he's talking about these people, he gives us a foundation for dealing with relationships. He gives us a small verse that in some ways seems really simple, that honestly, on the front end of today, I told Hector backstage, I don't even know if I need to preach. I mean, it's such a simple verse. It makes complete sense to me. But this small verse, I'm telling you, could revolutionize our relationships. Look at it. Ephesians chapter four. Let me read some of the verses around it to give you a little bit of background. But here's what he says in verse 11. And he gave the apostles... And he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, he gave the shepherds and the teachers. So he's describing people in the church. He's describing offices or positions he's given the church. And listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, the reason why I gave them is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Let me pause, because when we use that word saint, sometimes people are like, well, I don't, what does that mean? Is that a saint from hundreds of years ago? What is that? And here's what the Bible teaches, is that every single person that has been saved by God, every single person that's put their trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, you are a new person. Just like we got to see Zoe's baptism. There's nothing magical about that water, but spiritually her old life is over and now she's got a new start in Christ and she is a saint. And so every single one of us in this room, if you know Christ personally, you are a saint. Chances are your spouse didn't tell you that this morning. Hey, saint, how you doing? Doesn't happen often, right? But here's what he says. The job of ministers, people like me, Pastor Chuck, Pastor Ryan, others, our job is, verse 12, to equip the saints, which is you, to do the work of the ministry. Why? Because when everybody puts their gifts to work, he says, the body of Christ is built up. That's powerful. We could camp out there, but it doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to be a mature man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Listen to verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. And so he's saying spiritually, he's saying physically, we may grow up, right? Physically, we may mature. Physically, we may look older on the outside, but it's possible that just because you get older on the outside to not be growing up spiritually. And so he says the goal for every single one of us between this day and that day is that we would grow up into maturity. Listen to verse 14 again, no longer being children that are tossed to and fro 
by the ways carried about by every wind of doctrine and, and, and every cunningness or craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's saying, look, there's time for us to grow up. Well, how do we grow up? How do we do that? Listen to verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in what? In love. And so in the context between this day and that day, that while we're still alive, God's not done with us. He says we need to grow up. So the truth, this verse is small, but it's powerful. Point number one, if you want to write these down in your little handout there, point number one is we need to learn to speak up. We need to learn to speak up. In the context of relationship, in the context of the church, in the context of of us growing between this day and that day, Paul says an essential ingredient of us growing up is learning to speak up, to speak up. The reason why I think that's important is because not everybody speaks up in the same way. I mean, some people run from conflict. Some people run from drama. Some people like to act like it's not there. I, I fall in that category. Any of y'all with me on that? How many of y'all don't like conflict? Show of hands, yeah. We don't like conflict. I, I don't like conflict. I'd rather pretend it's not there. While other people actually are cool with it. How many of y'all are comfortable with conflict? Show of hands. You're not afraid to address on it. Yeah, so in this room, we've got different, different personalities. We've got different ways of thinking, different ways of processing. Well, as Paul's writing, it's so key for all of us to key in on because here's what happens. When we don't do it the right way, we do blow up those relationships because they are fragile. And so Paul says, speak, speak. In some ways, it reminds me of growing up. Growing up, my room looked like World War III. Do y'all have any of those rooms in your house? My room was World War III. So growing up, I had clutter. There's pointing going on over there. I had clutter everywhere. I mean, it looked like uh, my, my, uh, my, my drawers with all my clothes, like they blew up. It looked like I had jeans hanging from the wall, like they're making a run for it. You know? I mean, it looked like a crime scene, really. I mean, that's, that's, I thought that would be funnier, but it bombed. Awesome. Strike that from the notes. <laughs> I mean, really, my room looked awful. And so that's the way I lived growing up. I lived with a scattered, blown up looking room. And then sometime in my 20s, I learned the secret of stuffing stuff away. Are y'all familiar with that strategy? Stuffing is where you pick a closet, or in my case, for a lot of my 20s, was pick a room <laughs> and just stuff everything in there. And y- y'all have been to people's houses that are stuffers. Maybe they're closet stuffers. Maybe they don't want to admit it. But the way that you know that person is when you go over to their house, you've never been to their house before, and so you're like, hey, can I see your house? Can I take a tour? And so they take you on a tour, and then you're looking in every room, and the way that you know that you've stumbled upon a stuffer is when you go to reach for the door that they haven't opened for you, and you see the panic flash across their face. You know what I'm talking about? They're panicked. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't open that because they know that if you open it, it's all coming out. Do y'all have that room in your house? Do you have that closet? Yeah. That's the way my, my garage has been until recently. We've been working on it. But here's what I found. As a teenager, I was a scatterer. Everything was out there. Everybody could see it. Junk, junk, junk. My 20s, I became a stuffer where I liked the appearance of having stuff together but stuffing it somewhere where you couldn't see it. And what I found is a lot of times that happens emotionally and it happens relationally as well. There's some people that, that you're a scatterer. Everybody knows every piece of drama that's in all of your life. They just know when you come 
there's drama going on. You're a scatterer. You're not afraid of people seeing the junk that's in your life. But some of us are stuffers where you've got just the same amount of junk. You've just tried to hide it away. And in either one of those situations, we have got to learn to speak. And what I would say when I say speak, we've got to speak in person. So when we have a problem in a relationship, instead of telling the whole world about it, hey, I'm going to log on to Facebook and tell everybody how awful this person is. I'm going to tag them. Instead of doing that, or instead of stuffing it and acting like there's not a big deal and letting it letting it sort of uh, gestate and begin get to that point where you're stuffing, 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 and just like that closet door, once you open it, it blows out, right? Some of us, we need to learn to speak. And that's best done in person. That's best done in person because in an email, you can't, uh, oftentimes our intentions aren't well perceived through an email. People can't tell the tone that you're using. They can't tell the, uh, what you're intending. And so don't do it by email. Don't do it by phone. Even on the phone, there can be that disconnect. So what I would say is we need to learn to speak in person. Not only that second point, speak. And then the second phrase that he says is the truth. We need to learn to speak the truth. Literally in the original language, and I know when I read it, it says rather speaking the truth and love. So the verb in that phrase is speaking, but in the original language that this was in, in Greek, that word truth is a verb. Literally, the word is truthing. It sounds weird in English. It sounds weird in our context, but literally what he's describing is that as we go around, we're literally bringing the truth with us. We're doing the truth. We're living the truth out. And so here's what I'd say to all of us is sometimes we're great at speaking or sometimes we're great at hiding it. But anytime we begin to speak, we must always do it on the foundation of truth. That sounds simple. But last week when we, we, we had snow and Meg going on and everybody's locked up and sliding around town, I was at the house studying and I did some research and I, I started looking at different schools and different research they'd done about lying. I asked the question, well, how often do we lie? And, and so I looked at several different universities that had sanctioned studies. And one, one university said that some people lie three times within 10 minutes. Another survey that was a little more uh, generous to us said that, that some people lie about once a day. Another research thing for another university said that even kids, by the time they're six, they already know how to shade the truth. The point is, is that the older we get, the less committed to the truth we become. We become political. We like to say what we think people want to hear. We try to, uh, and we'd say, well, I'm not a big liar, but at the same time, we're not good at telling the whole truth. And so when Paul's writing and he's talking about tried and true relationships, he says, you've got to speak. And when you speak, you've got to bring truth to that situation. And I'm going to tell you, that's not always easy. That's not always easy. I mean, I've seen some people that, Literally, they hop on Facebook and they tell the whole world about something that they should have been telling that person in front of them. I see some people that, that when they address junk that's going on, they exaggerate it to get more applause or exaggerate it to get more sympathy from the people around them. This is something I've had to learn because I, I, I'm a stuffer. And so I don't go around looking for conflict. I don't like going around uh, addressing those kind of things. But in my time here over the last five years, it's a privilege to walk with people and to see them grow up. But there have been a handful of times while I've been here that I've seen somebody do something really dumb. 
really dumb. And so part of me wants to stay away from it and say, well, it's not a big, it's none of my business. But here's what I found. If we're talking about tried and true, what we're talking about is a covenant friendship with people. A covenant friendship is one that doesn't turn its back on somebody when they make one mistake. A covenant friendship is not somebody that's judging other people. But here's what a covenant relationship is. somebody that is willing to speak hard truth in somebody's life for that person's own good. You see an example of this in Scripture in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and 13. We read about the King David who started out as a great king, but somewhere along the way he got arrogant, and somewhere along the way he got cocky, and somewhere along the way he thought he could make up his own rules. And so he ended up sleeping with one of his general's wives while the general was off at battle. He ends up having that guy killed to try to cover it up. And eventually when he finds out that the girl is pregnant, he tries to marry her so that nobody knows that something went wrong. He he thought he could get away with it. And for about a year, he did. For about a year, nobody called him on it. For about a year, he thought, I'm past this moment until a guy named Nathan shows up. And when Nathan showed up, he knew that if he, if, if he confronted the king, that the king could kill him, the king could lock him away, the king could deny it. And so here's what Nathan did. He was winsome. Here's what Nathan did. He told the king a story. He said, look, king, here's the story. Here's something that happened. What would you do? In the middle of that story, David gets angry. David sees the kind of sin that took place. And he says, that person needs to die. And Nathan turns that story around and says, that story really is about you, David. And what ended up happening is David saw the truth. He heard somebody speak it into his life. And some of his greatest days we're on the other side of that mistake. We need those kind of people in our lives, don't we? We need somebody that we've given complete access to our life. We need somebody that can speak. And when they speak, they can speak truth into our lives. But here's the third element of that. Not only do we speak up, not only do we tell the truth when we do so, but it must all be filtered through love. That's the foundation of why we have these kind of relationships. Relationships are to be built on love and love is not circumstantial. Love isn't, hey, I'm in middle school. I'm gonna pass you a note. Do you love me? Check yes, no, or maybe. It's not that kind of thing. I mean, I'm telling you, uh, we, we've bought into this idea that relationships are situational. And so I see it all the time, working with the young adults. I see it all the time. They unfriended me on Instagram. It's over. <laughs> Settle down. They didn't like my posts. I'm like, what? The foundation must be love. Must be love. Because you can tell the truth. You can speak up when you're telling the truth. But if it's not filtered through love, chances are it's going to be like a landmine that blows up and rips that relationship apart. Because no matter how true it is, if you don't have love when you're dealing with it, it's not going to help. It's not going to help. Truth that is conveyed through other motives besides love will spoil. It will fire back on you. There'll be shrapnel that rips that relationship apart. And so a key element is, yes, speak. Speak to that person. Speak the truth to that person. But always, always, always do it from the motive of you love that person. It's amazing how love makes those conversations possible. And I told you over these last 
few years, I, I've had to have those kind of conversations. I don't like those conversations. I don't get up in the morning and say, hey, can I confront somebody today? That would be awesome. That would be great. But there's been a handful of times where somebody in my life that I feel like I've invested in and they've given me that opportunity to speak truth into their life where they've done something dumb. And so I call them up and I, I could have blogged about it. I could have made a reference to it on Facebook, but not put their name. And that, I could have done all those things. But instead, I tried to apply this verse and I called them up and I said, hey, let's meet at Starbucks because there's something spiritual about having meetings at Starbucks, isn't there? Something life-changing about a vanilla uh, cappuccino with an extra shot of espresso. There's something about that. I love that. But there's been those moments where I've had to sit across the table from somebody and say, you know I love you, right? You know I'm your biggest fan, right? Well, I just wanted to say I've seen this happen. It could go a lot of ways. I mean, some, some of those have been more positive than others, but what I have found every single time is that God's honored in the middle of it. God's honored. And so I think one of the, the keys of us growing up, one of the keys of us having tried and true relationships between this day and that day is speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. And I try to live this out. It's not easy. I've got some family members that honestly... Uh, I have a tense relationship with. I told you about my dad a couple weeks ago. Well, at my dad's funeral, uh, one of our family members uh, showed up that had a strained relationship with my dad probably the last five years of his life. And so because of that strained relationship, it bled over into my relationship with that family member. And so literally right after the, the, the funeral's over, this family member just goes off on my brother, goes off on me, starts yelling, shouting, doing all this crazy stuff. And so I've had to learn to speak truth and love to that person. If you're taking notes underneath that third point, let me just give you some real practical takeaways. In fact, if you don't want to write them down, I posted them on Facebook this morning. But here's a couple of of practical things. What does that look like? Question number one that I, I have written down is, is this what Jesus would say? Is this what Jesus would say? Would Jesus say what I'm about to say? The second part of that question is, not only is it what Jesus would say, but is it how he would say it? See, sometimes we, we feel all justified. Well, it's the truth. I'm going to tell the truth. And sometimes we say it in such a hateful way that I would say, if that's not the way Jesus would say it, we don't need to say it that way. He's the filter. He's, he's the shaper of our lives. Number three, repeat only what you know to be true. I can't tell you how, how much relationship damage happens when somebody hears a bit of something and they repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. And it's like that old game where you whisper something in one ear and then by the time it gets to the 20th person, it's completely different. I would say, get out of that conversation. Number four, don't interpret situations. We've all done it. <laughs> We've all done it. We've seen somebody post something and we start filling in the gaps when we don't know the rest of the story. And oftentimes it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. We all do it, so don't do it. Number five, Know when not to press a subject. This is the great example of Nathan. Nathan knew when David would be receptive and how David would be receptive to the truth. Well, sometimes just because something's true and because your motives is love doesn't mean that the moment that you're choosing to have that conversation is the right time. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. Know when, when to not press. Number six, don't have judgmental conversations. I mean, for as many of us are in here, We have that many opinions, at least. And sometimes we think it's our job to give our opinion in every single situation. Sometimes we need to learn, that's just not my deal. It's not my deal. Uh, Number seven, use your words to encourage and inspire. 
for me, I'm a words kind of person. That, that's sort of my personality. And so somebody can build me up or they can tear me down quickly. And so for somebody like Pastor Chuck, who I have complete respect for, for them to speak words of encouragement in my life are huge. So we've all seen the negative side of words. Let's be people that use the positive side of it. Uh, number eight, don't say it if you can't say it in front of the person you're talking about. Ouch. <laughs> so e- it's easy for us to have the meeting after the meeting behind some closed door Well, if you can't say it in front of that person, then you shouldn't be saying it at all. And then here's the last one. Will it benefit others? Will it benefit others? A lot of times in scripture, scripture talks about what is the outcome of our conversation? Well, if the outcome is negative, if the outcome doesn't help, then we don't need to do it. And so part of having a tried and true relationship is saying, God, I want to be a person that speaks the truth in love. It's small but it's powerful. Would you pray with me this morning?